Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, I'd give a rat's ass about Twitter. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday Takes on Takes edition of the show. You guys once again brought a host of good takes for us to react to, and we're going to do that very thing here in just a second. But folks, uh, the 24-hour rule is, is apparently not in effect, and Mr. Krabs is still celebrating the Miami miracle. Kyle, welcome again to the show. Thank you, Joe. You People have to understand, uh, we're recording this a little earlier than normal. Little, yeah, if my voice so, is a little weird, it's because I just woke up. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is a Monday morning recording. I'm waking up off the euphoria <laughs> of what actually happened, and then I, I stumble upon the gift of the Patriots radio call of the play. And as Kenyon Drake turns up the field and Ted Larson smacks uh, Patrick Chung in the face, somebody on the radio calls. Says, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's just been like on a loop in my household all morning long. I want you to play this on my birthday instead of happy birthday. Oh boy. I want you to play this at my wedding. I want you to play this at my funeral. It's just, it's <laughs> amazing. How about at the beginning when the guy goes, a host of defensive backs or a yeah. sea of He's de- laughing. He's laughing. Well, what the funny He's part like, is, is one of them's Gronk. The deep safety's Gronk. I can't. They're on the 31. <laughs> Why are you playing Gronk? Tannehill can't throw it that far. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let's see if we can get into day three of this week. We're going to do mock drafts, folks, the rest of this week. We'll see if yeah, the Miami miracle can somehow come up every day. I think I think Kyle can do it, but well, <laughs> Patriots really need a new deep third safety since Gronkowski is too stiff to play on the back there end anymore. There it is. Uh, that'll be for the Patriots. Pick. <laughs> oh boy! All right, here we go. Takes on takes Tuesday. Who's going first? Ooh, I'll go first. I'll give you one. All right, I'll give you one. All right. So this take comes from Zach, and uh, Zach was the. Is, has been inspired by the Leonard Fournette position change oh, okay. take from last week. So after hearing the Fournette to defensive end take from last week, I think if Tim Tebow switched to middle linebacker, he'd still be in the NFL. Here's where it gets weird <laughs> with multiple Pro Bowl appearances. And then hashtag savory popcorn is great. That was a shot at you for your pop, <laughs> for your popcorn, Tim. Right? I, I'm well aware. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. This is crazy. Um. It's how do you project that? Or how do you know? How do you know if a guy that played quarterback could be a Pro Bowl, a multiple Pro Bowl caliber middle linebacker? I think there's a certain level of competitive toughness that you love about Tim Tebow uh, and and leadership and all the intangibles. And he has the athleticism to play middle linebacker in the NFL. So I like I like all of the foundation that's there for it to be true. But from a processing perspective and execution and all those, you know, learning how to play the position when you played quarterback your whole life, I think that's a that's a bold projection 
to say he would be a multiple Pro Bowl appearance middle linebacker, but I, I don't hate the the idea here. And honestly, it may have been the best course for Tim to have a sustainable NFL career. Now he's playing outfield for the Mets. So uh, I like where this is headed. I'm not sure I, I'm comfortable. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a coward, but I'm not comfortable saying he'd be a multiple Pro Bowl middle linebacker, Kyle. Um, all right, here we go. We got a lot of good stuff to get into. I am gonna. I, this is. I'm giving you this because I didn't want it. I'll be honest with you. I wanted your take on this. Uh, Ronaniya Tuiasa Sopo. He's been awesome with this seven seventh best coach series. And this uh, this week we've got the Pac-12 uh, front and center. So he says uh, this week in in hashtag the seventh best coach Mario Cristobal just became the seventh best coach in the Pac-12 behind number one Mike Leach. Are we we got to work through this, right? That's what we do. So num- behind number one, Mike Leach, you good there? Number one best head coach in the Pac-12. Do I think Do I think Mike Leach is the best coach in the Pac-12? No, yeah. I do not. Okay, all right. Number two, Chris Peterson. This is probably Chris your- Peterson is the best head coach. Okay. In, in the Pac-12. Mike Leach two. No. Oh wow. Okay, Chip Kelly three. No. Are you well, Kyle. This Witt? one's all out. All of right, sorts. I'm going to read through this and I'm going to let you talk. All right, we've got okay. Mike. <laughs> we got Mike Leach, Leach, Chris Peterson, Chip Kelly, Kyle Whittingham, David Shaw, and now Mel Tucker. Kyle, respond. I think you got the right names here. Uh, for me, I would slot the coaches: Chris Peterson, Kyle Whittingham, David Shaw, Mike Leach, Chip Kelly. Uh, Mel Tucker and Mario Cristobal is probably how it's slot. So I'm fine with Mario being somewhere in that middle pack, seventh. You know, I'm not going to argue with that. I, I think I have more exception with the slotting at the top than Mario being in the middle of the pack. All right. Uh, Cameron Spencer, Joe, since you're a Carolina native. Okay. Or I'm sorry. Nope, never mind. It's the Cardinals. It's all C-A-R. <laughs> and I, I thought it was Carolina. It's, it's the Cardinals all right. offensive line in question. But that's fine. This still works perfectly well. Uh, Cameron Spencer's take is, if my defensive line was composed of Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, and Von Miller, and my opponent had the current Cardinals offensive line, it would take exactly one drop back from my opponent's quarterback to permanently retire from football. Takes on take. That'd be – that's a tough assignment, man. That's a tough (laughs) – I mean, even if you have a good offensive line, let alone a, a terrible one that Arizona's had for years, right? Like we've talked, like, we've been podcasting for a long time now. It feels like we've been talking about the liability that is the Cardinals' offensive line for a long time, and it's really disappointing right now with with your young quarterback Josh Rosen to be playing behind it. And uh, yeah, it's it presents a huge liability. Yeah, one play. I don't mean I don't know if I. I'd, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trot out a good quarterback if uh, if if I had the current Cardinals O line against that. That's that's living dangerously. So uh, the point being that the Cardinals need to make massive strides with its offensive line this off season, and uh, I certainly agree with that being true. Well, hey, listen. Maybe since safety didn't work out, maybe you could try Gronk at quarterback behind that line. See how that goes. There we go. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Luke Donaldson has one here, Kyle, about, uh, the, about okay. uh, my former Bengals. Uh, Jeff Driscoll should be the starting quarterback for the Bengals next year. Big Ben will not play next year, and the Steelers will have a top 10 pick. Derek Carr is not the problem in Oakland. Everything else is. A lot to un- unpack there, Kyle. Yeah, you just gave me three well, takes in one. Luke wanted his the money hell, worth, and, and he got it. I gave it to you. You could have just read me one, and no. then we could have left the rest. All right. Well, Jeff Driscoll should be the quarterback for the Bengals. No, I got to do them all now. You've read well, them all. There it is. Now. We're going to work all through. out there. Okay, we'll no. go. All right. 
Uh, no. I think Andy Dalton, if Andy Dalton is healthy and Andy Dalton is under contract, Andy Dalton should be the starting quarterback for the Bengals. Driscoll gives you nothing, in my opinion. All right. Big Ben. Big ben, ben will not be this, not play next year for the Steelers, and they'll have a top 10 pick. It's hard to say because, like, he's having such a productive season from, a like, his career, like, benchmarks standpoint. I know he's he's putting up, like, massive yards uh, per game and, and very productive as a passer. But he is getting up there, and he's getting crotchety in his old age. <laughs> you know, he's, he's he always seems like he's grouchy, and he's kind of flirted with it. I'll go bold here and say I think this this is especially if, if Pittsburgh makes like oh, a, a deep run. Yeah. I'm gonna say Big Ben's out of here. Oh wow. I'm surprised. He was very vocal about uh how he wanted to play like three to five more years. He was all pissed about the Mason Rudolph pick, and you're saying he's out. Yeah, get him out of here. All right. He's all he's he got his feelings hurt. He's all up in his feelings. Derek Carr is not the problem in Oakland, everything else is. I don't know what to think of Derek Carr. I want to like Derek Carr, right? Yeah. Like, I liked him coming out of Fresno State. He had that really good year. Was it 2016 he had a great year under Del Rio? Yeah. And then he broke his leg, and the poor guy's never been the same since. And that offense is starting to come around a little bit. So I would say you have much bigger things to worry about in Oakland than Derek Carr. How's that? It's fair. Take from Lucas Minton Sports at 49ers writer. If the tight end receiving yardage record is 1,327 yards, Kittle breaks that for sure. Takes on takes. So that's what Gronk had uh, in 2011. Who? For, uh, I thought he played safety. He's made his transition here uh, late in his career. You know, he's a declining skill set at tight end. So the natural progression would be to put his ass at of safety. Course. Um, of course, in cover three. I would, would, for sure. Question Bill Belichick. Kyle, are you crazy? Um all right, so that's the record that we're dealing with. Uh, so Kittle got that last night, didn't he? I felt like it. He's got 11 <laughs> 11.03 so far. So he needs 13.27. I'm not a math guy, but what is that, like 200, a little over 200 yards? Two, 224 yards. In, in the next two ga- three games to get that done? Three games. you got to feel like a team like San Francisco with the way their season's headed. That that's a priority for them, right? Like to go, go out, out of your way and feed yeah. him. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's gonna be manufactured touches. Not not that he needs it, right? Kittle's been awesome, and he's winning after the catch. He's winning down the field, I and mean, he's he's really emerged as as one of the maybe you know top three receiving tight ends in the NFL. I can feel I feel like this will be a high priority for the 49ers to get that done. So I'm gonna go. I'm with you. I'm accepting this as truth right here. Uh, all right, let's just get bold. Let's get crazy here. AF, uh, that's what he says, and then his at is just a flower. All right. Uh, he says 12, just a flower 12. I don't get it. Can't forget the 12. All right. What's the AF mean? Is that maybe some of his initials? Uh, just off? I've got no idea. All right. I don't know. Yeah, I got no idea. Maybe you can tweet us and re- explain your, your name and handle here for us. Uh, but thank you for this bold take. I'm anxious to hear what Kyle says. Baker Mayfield takes the Browns to a Super Bowl next year. Hard pass. If he says in the next three years, I'm buying. Yeah. You know, 2019, 2020, 2021. You give me that window, I'm in. But next year, 2019, I think that's that's a little too much too soon for me personally. I wish I would would get on board with that take, but I don't I don't think so. I think that's too much. Too soon. 
let's see. We got a Bills Jets take from Jared. When was that? Baseball uh, nine. Yep. Uh, so I'm watching this Bills Jets game, and here's my take: the Bills need a reliable pass catcher and blocking. Two birds, one stone. Hawk, as in Hawkinson, TJ yeah. Hawkinson. Boom, drops the mic, takes on take. It's only appropriate we give this to my Bills brethren here on the show. I don't disagree that the Bills need a reliable pass catcher and blocking tight end because I can only watch Charles Clay drop so many passes. I said I tweet play Clay. I I look, leave him alone, man. Look, maybe we can try him at safety, Kyle. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh. I, I tweeted yesterday that I want him sent to the moon, and I, I believe that. His contract's something you can get out of this year. Uh, yes, definitely a need. Josh Allen needs all kinds of stuff around him. There's literally nothing dynamic around him at running back, tight end, uh, and very little at receiver. So building this offense around him. My question is, Hawkins, the Bills are going to pick in the top ten, right? They're 4-9. They're picking six right now. They're going to be in that 5-12 to 12 range, right? Is Hawkinson that – is he that type of prospect like where you take him at this portion of the draft when there's going to be other impact players at, at bigger positions of need to really make the impact Buffalo needs? Like especially in a deep tight end draft where I think you could probably get a really good player in the second round. I'm not sure if I'm on board with Hawkinson you know, really high in the first round even though I love his skill set. He's balanced, which is rare. It's very difficult to find – you know, guys that are such balanced players at tight end right now. Uh, I, I just don't know if I see the value that that high in the first round. Second round, yeah, give it to me. I'll take that all day long. But I don't think he'd be there in the second round for Buffalo picking at like 40. Well, I think that's – then you have to live with that, in my opinion, right? You, right, and you can get – you can like your diminishing returns with the next guy down the list. Like, sure. You'd be fine. Yeah. But for the sake of the take, like Hawkinson probably, from my opinion, based on the tape that he's put out, wouldn't be there at 40. Right, but he's but he's. Is it? Would you say it's fair to say it's a little rich around you know the top ten? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're taking him eight. That's you no. Know, you'd ideally like to trade back twelve spots and then pull the trigger on a guy like that. Yeah. All right, Cal. Here you go. This comes from Adam Huddle. Heisman committee should be required to invite four players each year to the Heisman. What do you think about that? I little throw out to a. Uh, John owning with the the transition there, I like that. What do you think about that? Oh, jeez, John John's favorite. That transition. wasn't a shout out. That was a shot. <laughs> I don't trust the Heisman committee to get the top player right, let alone the top four players right. So I don't know how Travis Etienne is it in your top four. Blows my mind. We were both the top six. The top five were quarterbacks. Yeah, I know you it, were very disappointed. Yeah, very well, and it's your, you can you put it out there for me. You bought you had me buying in on Haskins as the rightful Heisman Trophy winner, and then it just didn't happen. And I took oh, it hard. Excuse me, the top six were quarterbacks: well, yeah. Kyler, Tua, Haskins, Will Greer, Gardner Minshew, Mackenzie Milton, and then Travis Etienne. The thing is, like, look at the voting. It's not ever that close where we need four guys there. You're going to have somebody that's there that has very small percentage of the votes. And yeah, I love the idea of, of highlighting a kid and bring you know emphasizing a great season. But I mean, like already that third guy is pretty unlikely to really be a true contender in the race, let alone bring in a fourth. I don't know. I, that, I don't. That's a that's a great point. Let's see the, the benefit. point breakdown from from this year. Uh, Kyler had twenty one hundred, two ahead, almost nineteen hundred. 
Haskins had 783. Right. And Will Greer was in fourth, and he had 126 points. Right. We're going to bring Will Greer, Greer yeah, to the right. ceremony. Like That would be the guy you'd bring, and yeah. he's way bringing up the rear. So that's a good point, uh, and you've just swayed me the way I swayed you into believing Haskins was the Heisman winner. All right. <laughs> Uh, Mountaintop scouting, this is kind of your neck of the woods with App State here. So uh, considering the takes on takes from today with Scott Satterfield being hired at Louisville, where would he slot in your coaching rankings in the ACC? Interesting, right? I'm surprised. I thought, look, Scott Satterfield, I always thought he would maybe eventually move on to a a, bigger school than App State. But like he is App State. His wife went there. He went there. Played quarterback, like long coaching history. I thought he was going to be one of those guys that was there for a long time. And then when he didn't, when he wasn't even considered, it felt like for the North Carolina job, you know, a guy that's North Carolina through and through his whole family. Uh, I didn't, I thought he was going to be there for a while. And then all of a sudden he goes to Louisville. I'm like, what really? I, I think maybe North Carolina is a better job than Louisville. But uh, okay, so where does he fit into my ACC coaching rankings? It's tough, right? Because we see a lot of really productive group group of five coaches, really good ones, go to the Power Five, and they don't really necessarily have that success that you hope for. So it's really difficult for me to forecast where he's going to, or how much success he's going to be, and where he slots into this group of, of ACC coaches. So for me, I'm an earn it guy. I think he's probably towards the bottom three, four uh, right now until he proves otherwise. And and honestly, I, I've kind of stated what I think about Justin Fuente and Willie Taggart. And I think they kind of bring up the rear <laughs> when it comes to the ACC coaching landscape. So uh, right now he's, he's down there at the bottom. He has to prove himself. He's got a big task ahead of him to get this program right in Louisville, which Bobby Petrino has uh, really left pretty pretty empty and and not very exciting. Uh, so I'm I'm rooting for him. I think he's a good good, good option. Uh, but let's let's be cautious when we think about uh, how these coaches transition to Power Five schools, especially ones that need so much work like Louisville. Uh, the, the success might not be indicative of how good of a coach Satterfield is because of how much work is ahead of him and 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 how much uh, he has to adjust to a really unique situation. All right. Uh, here we go. This one's Corey Ashburn. We're, we're talking about fins up here. Uh, he, he says, I'm stealing this from Wingfield NFL. But if Minka Fitzpatrick stays at outside cornerback, he and Xavier Howard will make up the best outside duo in the NFL by the end of next year. It's interesting because when Miami drafted Minka, I was very much sold on the prospect of him playing at safety and starting at safety with his ball skills. and uh, But you watch Minka this year, and you watch him, and he's playing man-to-man coverage against A.J. Green, and he's effectively playing from the trail position in phase on A.J. Green. And that was kind of the aha moment for me, like, wow, Minka can really play man-to-man coverage and, and play it at a high level. So I'm warming on this idea of Minka staying at boundary corner because he fits the benchmarks that Miami likes. Obviously you look at him and Xavier Howard, both of these guys are long, they're physical. They might not have elite speed, but their length and their physicality at the line of scrimmage allows them to disrupt routes enough that they can, you know, really get guys off their landmarks and, you know, make an impact and, and influence throwing windows. So I don't know if, if, it's that quick of a turnaround if you decide Mink is going to stay at outside corner that by the end of next year, they're the best corner pairing in the entire league. Because last I checked, A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey both still play for the same team. I think that's a star combo there. 
but uh, it would certainly be a top pairing if Minka's development continues at the the rate that you see and uh, Xavier Howard continues to get more and more consistent and obviously his ball hawking skills have generated a ton of turnovers for the Dolphins that that man's going to get paid mm-hmm. when the time comes down to it and uh, being a fan of the Dolphins and watching so many of their drafted talents not get paid by the team and go somewhere else I would love to see Miami make it a priority to retain Xavier Howard because they have done a wonderful job developing him from a very raw prospect out of Baylor into this ball hawking corner. Joe, I'm eager for your impression on this take because I have a a take on this as well. That's from uh, JB. Houston is the favorite in the AFC to go to the Super Bowl. Takes on take. Favorite, man. That's tough. Um. You got to think like your group of favorites, uh, they're in it, right? Like Patriots, uh, Chargers, uh, Chiefs, Texans. You think, I think I've certainly just said the AFC championship, the AFC champion right there in those four. I mean, I love their defense. I love Deshaun. I love the, the, the receiver pairing. I mean, this is a good team. Offensive lines like, you know, obviously the, the Achilles heel of it. Favorite though, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm I'm comfortable saying that. I think they're in the mix. Maybe that was cowardly, but I think they're in the mix. Not the favorite. You have a take. I want to hear it. I do. I agree with this take. Woo! I think the Texans play the best complementary football. Ooh! Out of anybody, in, out of the the four teams that you just mentioned, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Texans, and the Patriots. I think Houston plays complimentary football. I love their defensive personnel. I'm not going to read too much into the fact that they lost to the Colts because that was a must-win game for the Colts. The Texans are coming, were coming off a nine-game winning streak coming into this game, a divisional game that uh, the Colts had to have if they were going to extend their season, and they did. So good for Indianapolis. You tip your cap. Houston plays good at home. And on the road, obviously the same goes for the Chiefs and the Chargers with their records at 11-2 and and 10-3. and Joe, the Patriots have a losing record on the road this year. They're 3-4. and Hate to see it. Their defensive personnel is not spectacular. Uh, The Chiefs have given up 350 points so far this year. So that's not great. I know they've scored 471. They've given up 351 points. I I think the Chargers... I, I have the hardest time between the Texans and the Chargers as far as my favorite in the AFC, but I think Houston's a team that's, that was really humming. They came in super hot. You get lackadaisical with nine straight wins. You're going to drop a game at some point, so I'm not overreacting to the loss to the Colts. Adam Heath says, John Gruden will draft Rashawn Gary or Josh Allen number two overall because, you know, Gruden. I don't have a problem with drafting Josh Allen at two. Yeah, I don't hate that either. Is a little rich for me? Yeah, probably, but I don't hate it. Yeah. I don't hate it. I mean, Rashawn Gary, you're drafting him at two, then now we we figured out where all the top six buzz is coming from Rashawn Gary if Gruden ends up pulling through. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I want to give the Raiders the benefit of the doubt. I know it's really easy to bag on Gruden, but uh, with these picks here, you know, hopefully they they take advantage of them, and I'm I'm not going to say that they're going to blow a top two pick just because Gruden's there uh, because they've openly said that they're, they're looking for help at the front office now. 
So, you know, Reggie McKenzie's going to be on the way out and, and Gruden's going to have somebody that, you know, he can work with instead of having two separate draft boards. A I puppet. wasn't going to say puppet, but you said puppet. Yeah, so he's I getting the puppet, puppet, Kyle. Yeah. He's getting the puppet. <laughs> um, maybe you could try Rob Gronkowski since he's looking for a new gig. Yeah. Got got uh, fired from playing safety. Gronk could be his puppet. Are you ready for a full week of just Gronkowski jokes as far oh, as yeah. jobs? Yeah, this is good. Yep. As long as you're mentally prepared. If you guys are having fun with the Gronkowski jokes and with Draft Dudes, uh, make sure you hit subscribe because, as Joe said, we will be running a mock draft throughout the rest of the week. We got 11 picks, 11 picks, and 10 picks to bring you through until Friday. Uh, so thank you so much for listening in to the Draft Dudes podcast. And uh, make sure you hit us up on Twitter with your takes for next week with the hashtag takes on takes. Joe is at the Joe Marino and I am at grinding the tape. Talk with you guys tomorrow for uh, picks one through 11. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.